BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. Today I'm speaking with Jill Cartman, and here's the deal. I've known Jill for more than 20 years, and even I'm shocked by some of the things that she says. She also makes me laugh and is whip smart, and I hope you really enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Also, you wouldn't really be able to get to know Jill if I censored her. So this episode contains a lot of adult language and themes. Please do not listen to this with innocent ears around. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman, and I'm here with Jill Kargman, author of Sprinkle Glitter on My Grave and mom and creator of Odd Mom Out. Uh, <laughs> welcome. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for coming, Jill. My pleasure. You're my only friend in Los Angeles. Oh, well, I don't think that's true. <laughs> but I, Well, I have many I, acquaintances. Okay. So I'm thinking it would be fun and interesting if you could say your top 10 parenting pet peeves, things parents do that just drive you crazy. And then each with each one, I'm either agreeing or defending. I can actually think of one right now. Oh, great. Okay. So I was at Mary Arnold with my son. It's mm-hmm. a toy store in New York that's 100 years old. I know. And, well. you know, you'll go to pick up a present for a the kid's friend. Mm-hmm. And then I'll be like, can I get this? Can I get this? And I was like, no, it's not your birthday. You're not fucking getting that. Mm-hmm. Like, we're getting it for your friend. Back off. So the woman behind the counter, she's like, good for you. Good for you. <laughs> I've never heard a mom say that. They always say, okay, just to shut up the kid, they buy him the Spider-Man. But you're right. It's not his fucking birthday. So I was like, what do you mean they buy the present? And she's like, well, you know, the kid's whining and they're standing there and they say, all right, get two. <laughs> One for the friends and one for you. And I was like, no, why should he get anything? It's just like a random Tuesday. So my pet peeve with that is when parents just, it's a big thing on the Upper East Side, I think, to just like let the whining win. I do it sometimes for certain things, but not like purchasing no, items. If you, how are you getting any sense that there's discomfort and you have to wait for things and delayed gratification. This, you're totally, this is backed by science, I'm no scientist. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I get it if it's like, I'm on a work call, have this handful of goldfish and shut the fuck up. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just trying to plug your pie hole. But like, generally, I'm not going to just cave and let the kids be the boss of me. But a lot of people, I do see a lot of moms where like the kid is running the show. And I think it's from the idea of feeling like you have to be fair or there's some dis- it's difficult to watch your child have distress or you want to avoid a meltdown but you're causing more harm than good when you do it so i think that that one i would have to agree with you i don't like when all these people it's usually dads they call <laughs> their kid buddy hey buddy 
How's it going, buddy? What's up, buddy? There's something about it that like chafes me just because <laughs> a there's so many like nice names. There's also douchey names, but like, hey, buddy, it's back to that thing of like, I'm my parents, my best children's friend. best friend. Mm. We're best friends. It just makes me think of Amy Poehler and Mean Girls when she's like, do you guys need anything? A condom? Cocktails? <laughs> I just want you to drink under my roof. God love you. You keep me young. Okay. So I have no scientific answer about the bud, hey bud thing, but the best friend thing, again, I'm going to agree with you. We're meant to be supportive, but not best friends with our kids. Yeah. Guides. It's funny because my girls always say, like, you're my best they friend. They might think it. And I right. say, well, I'm your mom. Like, I'm I'm not, you know, you can tell me anything like a best friend, mm-hmm. but I'm not, like, serving you guys cocktails because I'm trying to be cool and be your friend and all that. But they they do think you're cool because you. Well, I, like, talk about. The tattoos. Like, blowjobs and things. No, the thing about my tattoos, actually, that's so funny. Tell me. Is that they are, both of my daughters said, like, I'm, my son might, but my daughter said, I'm never getting a tattoo. That's for moms. <laughs> so their, like, rebellion is against my rebellion, mm-hmm. which means, yay. You've, done, you've, you've sacrificed yourself for them. Exactly. And that works when it's the for the right temperament. Like my mom, actually, I can't even say this because I feel like she will hear this, but she's not, she wasn't super tidy. And my sister is the most organized. She's so organized. Uh, I mean, you've never, right? She, it's, yeah. Everything is, In has place. such a place. And then that place has its place. And that worked for That's her temperament. It's reactionary. But I didn't have that. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of a slob. I didn't I have that say. reaction. So it, it kind of depends on the child. So that's why your son is probably going to be covered in tattoos. Um, my next pet peeve yeah. is fucking iPads in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. I think that that is such a bad idea. I understand that you want to get through your meal. And I remember being a young mom with kids in a restaurant and having that anxiety in my stomach that my kid was going to spaz out or something. But I just think you're inculcating this behavior that it's okay. It's escapism at the table. You're not communicating with your parents. And I, to this day, I mean, now the new issue is phones. I don't allow phones at the table. And I'm like a cop. I mean, I will not let them bring out the phone at the table. But I see these families and all four of them, the mother Everybody's and father, just looking down. they're looking down at the, you know, bathed in the blue light of their iPhone. And I think it's really fucking sad. I mean, I, this is, this is going terribly because I agree with you again. We're, you're, we're always going to agree. <laughs> there must let me be think of something. something that's like against <laughs> the science of it. Oh, I have one. So scientifically, like you're not supposed to like with sleep training and you're not supposed to wake a sleeping baby and all that shit. Because a lot of these girls who are have baby nurses, so I didn't have a baby nurse. I was 28. We were broke. We were living in like a fourth floor walk-up. So I was the sleep training Nazi. Right. So what I did was put Sadie to bed when we were like good and ready or after dinner or whatever it was, not 6 o'clock, like 8.30. And then I would watch David Letterman. And at, when David Letterman was like just ending, I would wake her up from the dead of her sleep and give her a bottle. And you then did a she, dream feed. A basically. dream feed. And then she would sleep until 7, 7.30. Right. But, you know, people said like, You're, you can't wake a sleeping baby. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm fucking waking a sleeping baby because I don't want to be woken up at 3. And unlike all you people who have half the Philippines coming in and out of your penthouse, I am alone here. There, there is actually no science either way about not waking your baby or waking your baby. It kind of depends on whether you're bottle feeding, breastfeeding, or pumping anyway. 
So I feel like that does work for some people. I think that the issue is actually that you're now trying to regulate your baby's appetite. You don't care right now because your babies are now 150. Yeah, they have like smelly feet. But for for somebody listening who has babies, that would be the only downside. But there is that upside of you can pick when you're getting woken up, like it's 11 p.m. instead of 3 a.m. Right. The downside being they might actually be finished taking middle of the night feeding and you don't even know because you've been feeding them anyway. I don't care. I can, I'm capable of anything. If I've had eight hours of sleep, I am so well rested. I have nine hours of sleep a night. Like I was tired for 10 years with my kids and I didn't have baby nurses and all that hot and cold running help with Fletch. I had a baby nurse actually. Your Fletch is your third child. My third child. Just to be clear. But I didn't, even until he was born, I didn't have a full-time, like, nanny or anything. I had kind of a patchwork of babysitters when I was, like, ready to blow my brains out. But I got to say, like, you know, that whole whatever works thing, I like, I do believe that. But um, <laughs> I just was in survival mode, but I was so, so tired for so long, and now I'm so well-rested. It just gets so much better, and I fucking hate all these moms when I had little kids with older kids who would say, like, just enjoy the little kids while you have them. Little kids, little problems. Mm-hmm. When you're older, you're out, they're out and you don't know what's happening to them. And there could be getting in a drunk driver car. And they would say all this shit and make me feel like my anxiety was just like never going to just get worse. End. And it's not true yeah. because if you raise good humans with judgment, I mean, Sadie, we have like an amnesty thing in my house where she can call me and be like, my friends are fucked up. Can you come get me? I'm scared. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get in the car and there's no punishment. I'm like, great. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. Because we're always because she open trusts like you that. and you trust her and 100%. that's why you can sleep. Yes. So I do think I will tell you though, a lot of the most helicoptery now, you know, with a sixteen year old, the most helicoptery parents who text me four times, like, is my daughter still there? Is that the thing? You know, so on every single move. Mm-hmm. They're the ones whose daughters are like blowing guys in my basement. The overly controlling parent. Yes. If you pull an elastic far enough one way, it will snap in the other direction. Mm. Now, I don't know what the science is, but to me, that's like common sense. It's interesting you should say that because we were very recently talking with Dan Siegel about the idea of the extreme, the controlling, the the rigid versus the chaotic, and you want to find the integrations. That's the science behind it. It's just that middle place because if you because if you're like hippy dippy and leave them and neglect them, then of course yeah. they're going to go and right. That's also shit. that's chaotic. Yeah. So it is that balance between boundaries and sensitivity. You're just saying it in a different kind of way, a non sciencey way. <laughs> Let's just say the college requirements for science. I was like suicidal over and doing. <laughs> I took astrology, or no, I took you yeah took astronomy, astrology astronomy, astronomy. <laughs> astronomy. Well, I called it stars for stars because I took rocks for jocks already. I took rocks for jocks actually before I knew that I actually loved science. I'm also not a jock. Well, and I don't love science. Oh, well, this is sort of like a stupid, obvious one. Okay. But in this world of Me Too and toxic masculinity and all this shit, I keep hearing mothers of daughters saying, if you got it, flaunt it. What? Yeah. Like I went to Alice and Olivia with my my daughter, with my daughter, and I went in and she was, you know, one thing that we do... We really don't fight that much, but one thing we consistently fight about is hemlines. Mm-hmm. And even when she was little, I would say, like, <laughs> you're four going on whore. Like, she wanted to wear things that were up her butt crack. And when we were in there, you know, they always want, like, not right under their butt crack. It's not like that, but just shorter for my, than my taste. Right. And one of the salespeople said, so many of the mothers in here are saying, like, go shorter. You've, I would kill for your legs. Oh, God. And they want them to show it off. And they want them, 
you know, to be so sexualized. And it's mm. almost like vicarious exposure of, you know, the thighs that they no longer have mm-hmm. or never did. And it's so weird to me that they're objectifying their daughters in that way and or want to, like, pimp them best foot forward into the world for a dance or whatever it is. And it's fucking creepy. And I, I keep seeing it over and over. And I we have a couple acquaintances where they'll be like, Oh, look at her body. Isn't her body about her kid? Oh, my God. And I was like, well, when every time they say that in front of the kid, they're basically saying, this is what you offer the world. That's right. And this is what I appreciate about you. That's right. So I agree. And I actually would take it years and years back when parents are talking to their kids about even boys and girls, like, oh, who's your boyfriend? Who do you like? Like, yeah, there's still sexualization that in that, too. Just Yeah, it's, it's not your boyfriend. It's so weird. That is that is fucking weird. I agree That's with right. you about People that too. Do that. And the bodies and talking about bodies at all as anything other than what they are. Just um, you want strong bodies and you want to be healthy, and it has, it's it should be irrelevant what your parent or anyone else thinks of your body. That does feel like an obvious thing not to do. But people do it all the time. You know, common sense isn't common, right? Neither is common courtesy. Hmm. Is that another one? No. Common courtesy. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, you mean in terms of pet peeves? Mm-hmm. Well, I really care about manners, actually. Yes, I, I feel like manners show that you just care about other people. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like the parents will do the manners thing just to teach the kid it, the, what they're trying to say. Like, we're going to say thank you right now to the, it's always in this baby sing-songy voice, and mm-hmm. it's almost like a show to the other parents. They're all doing it for each other. That's not, not so much of a pet peeve, more of a pet peeve when people don't make their kids write thank you notes. Like I've sat for years and years and years after all the, like the little nerfs shit shows up, was sitting over Fletch being like, the girls were pretty self-startery with that, but just forcing him to write the thank you notes, that's no picnic. It would be much easier for me to just shoot an email to them or take a picture of him holding it and be like, thanks a million. But I sit and fucking make him write that out. And that's, you know, it's a grind. Like I don't, I have a glass of wine. It takes like two hours with him. But you know, when I sent, when we give a gift and then they just write back, like, thanks for the thing. It just, I don't know. I I feel like that's more California actually. In New York, on the Upper East Side, everyone writes notes. Everybody writes a lot of notes. I actually just want a no gift policy just for that. I have a no gift policy, but sometimes people think no gifts means gifts. It's like curb your enthusiasm. So I always write no gifts exclamation point. And then there's just like a tsunami of Fisher Price. (laughs) You know, if when they were little, if I got one more fucking Melissa and Doug wooden puzzle, I was ready to just like give everything to Sloan Kettering. But Mm -hmm. they they actually are picky about what they accept. Right. Well, because like germs germs are a big deal. I will say I I am a proud Jewish woman who had all her kids bat mitzvah. However, there is so much excess right now on the New York bat mitzvah circuit. I feel like you could like send the videos to ISIS and it would Mm. just be used as a recruitment tool. God, some of the things you say. Because it's really, really upsetting how over the top. I mean, I've been to bar mitzvahs that are like millions of dollars, millions that that's probably isolated to New York. Maybe not, but I think it's Upper probably isolated to a part of New York City. Yeah. Right. It's pretty cray. But I think your underlying message is that we probably need to dial it down and well, not I have to make your like, most amazing event of your let's life. Let's just make it really basic, not even a bat mitzvah. A one year old birthday. I follow somebody on go. Instagram. 
the, there was an event planner. There was a photographer. The kid had four different cakes, and it was all on Insta stories. And I just feel like you're setting your kid up for some weird, I don't know, it's like telling them the sun shines out of their ass. And I love a birthday party, and I like that they feel special, but it was just so excessive. Well, I think the misunderstanding is a one-year-old does not feel special with all of that because they don't understand what's going on and it doesn't really make sense. Well, the bar is raised. Then no, you'll know what two is, three is, four is. Right. And you, you grow up very disappointed if it doesn't end up always being the celebration of the century. But a one-year-old needs, you know, there is something to at a one-year-old birthday of one friend, at a two-year-old, two friends. I did that. That was Episcopal. Our nursery school always said that. So we always did like four friends, fourth birthday, all that. It makes sense because kids get so overwhelmed and we somehow think that a big party is very exciting, but then admit that it's for you and your friends, which is totally reasonable if you want an excuse to party with your friends. But developmentally, I agree with you. Yeah. Well, we're going to agree. I I think we're going to agree on shit pretty much. All right. Let me try to think of like a contrarian thing that you can bitch me out about. Maybe it's just the way you say it that I assume it's going to be something like that. But then ultimately what you're saying is the same thing. Yeah. What do some of these other cunty moms do that I want to smash? Like that. Like that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, another nursery school thing is like there was this icy man outside and there were kids, it, it's, I guess I'm saying the same thing as the Mary Arnold thing, but they would just get an icy every, every single Every time. Day. There was no sense of right. delayed and I gratification. I would say, like, you, you get to pick it two days a week or something like that as mm-hmm. a treat. But that that's content. They would be whining that this kid gets it every day and it's no fair. And kids are really into justice. And I know it seems unfair, but I said, like, that's how we do it in our family. Again, an important opportunity to want something and not be able to go and just take it. So you have some impulse control. I guess ultimately we may say it in we a different see, way. We say it in a different but way, but we have the similarly. same values. So speaking of, I, w- I did want to address what happened with Fletch. Oh, yeah. Which for is sure. a totally different thing, but in the realm of values and thinking about, you know, difficult conversations and difficult experiences and watching your child go through something incredibly distressing. Yes. That was a shit show, but you were such a crutch for me. I don't know how I would have gotten through that without you. That's that's not the part of it that I wanted you to talk about. Well, it's still <laughs> true. Should I give the like Reader's Digest for your listeners? Yeah. Okay. So last year, well, the, the sort of pre-story is that I like flunked my mammogram and had two lumps in my left boob. And I was going to do, they said I could do these two lumpectomies. I had done a needle biopsy and it was like pre-cancer. And um, I wound up getting a genetic test that revealed that I, in fact, have this, like, Jewy breast cancer gene. And so I decided to just, like, do a radical double mastectomy, mm-hmm. prophylactic. And it was really a no-brainer. I mean, everyone kept saying, that must have been such a hard decision. I was like, no, it wasn't. Chop them off. I don't fucking care. Mm-hmm. So I did the surgery. You know, it's no picnic, but it was fine. I had the drains with, like, pus and blood oozing out. And I had like a blazer over it. And I met Aliza to get my drains out, remember? And they said, so I hate opioids, by the way. I don't know how America is so addicted to this stuff because you can't take a shit. Like you cannot poo. So I don't know how all these addicts are down with that because I was miserable. So they said, you need to take an oxycodone or whatever Mm -hmm. when we yank the drains out. And I said, no fucking way. Like I... I would rather be in pain than not drop anchor. Mm. So Eliza came with me to Mount Sinai and just like held my hand while they 
threaded these drains out, and that was extremely unpleasant. And then as we were walking, she said, because you're a perceptive friend, Aliza said, are you okay? I mean, I know you have a lot on your plate with this, but is everything else okay? And I burst into tears and said, no, everything is not okay. And we went to Pan Quotidien, 97th in Madison, and I basically told her that the night before, my son had come home, or two days prior, and had, like, tears in his eyes. And I, I thought, oh, it must be so hard for my kid to see me like this with all the surgery and my gowns, and I had a nurse. And I said, Fletch, I'm going to be okay. I did the surgery so that I'm going to be just fine. And he said, no, it's not about you. Um, this boy at school told me that he was a fan of Hitler and that God sent Hitler down to kill the Jews because we nailed Jesus to the cross. <sighs> Verbatim. So I went into like, I'm a really happy person. Like I don't even, I never get down. I, you know, everyone has bad days, but I'm generally a really, really happy person. I don't think I've ever cried harder in my life. In my life, I cried. I went to such a dark place. I couldn't believe that in 2018 at the time, that my child was going through something like that. When I grew up in New York in the 70s, and I know there was anti-Semitism then, but I was never exposed to it. And he was in fifth grade, right? Fifth grade. My brother had had a couple experiences where people would say, like, Jew someone down or something about the Jews, but not, like, yay, Hitler. So I I just became—I was sobbing, and I called my parents. I'm very close with my parents. And my dad's like, listen— get some rest. You've been through a lot. You had your surgery. I'm like, this has nothing to do with the surgery. I don't even care about my surgery and my boobs. I don't even care. I did not care. And the weird thing is now in retrospect, whenever people call me, because Aliza also introduced me to my tits fairy who walked me through the surgery and everything I need. And now I'm that for people. And what's weird for me when people ask about the surgery is that like it was totally eclipsed by what I was going through as a mother. That was so much more painful than a scalpel. It was like a scalpel to my fucking soul. It was horrible. So I, you know, at that point, normally I have really, really good gut instincts about what to do. And I was so lost and kind of drowning in my own, like, multiple levels of misery that I turned to Eliza, who suggested that we go to the corner bookstore and buy a whole bunch of books on anti-Semitism and pogroms and Nazis and Hitler biographies. And we had them beautifully gift wrapped by this adorable gay guy who we, he said, can I help you? I'm like, yes, you can. And we told him the whole story and I couldn't carry anything. And so Eliza, and I wrote a note that said, we thought this, that we thought this would prove valuable reading for your family. Best, the Cardmans. And we dropped it in their Park Avenue lobby. I'm still really not sure that that was the right move, <laughs> but it was my emotional it reaction at the time, and no, it, it felt was productive. The right move. It wasn't, you weren't there as a seedlings no, doctor. No, 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 you were there as my friend, and you actually, like, reached in and elicited the reaction that I would have done had I been like sane and in the place to, to act from. Do you feel like still that, because I think about this, like would, was that what I wanted in that moment or would I have done the same thing? And I've, I've really thought about it because on the one hand, yes, it is. Cause you cannot let somebody a whole family say something like that. Well, it's education. Or, I'm know, giving them books. Without knowing where we're coming from. We, the... The, the, the tribe. Yeah. I but told, it did seem... I just... I wasn't sure if it's if it fell on deaf ears or seemed aggressive. 
Of course it seems aggressive, but so is saying that you're a fan of Hitler. Right, right. So I came home and told the kids that I had done that. And Ivy was kind of like, rock on. Like, she had a face that was very supportive. And immediately Fletch and Sadie, my bookends, got had like a look of fear, kind of. Like, are you going to get in trouble? And I said, why? For educating the ignorant? Mm. And... You know, of course it's an aggressive move, but I'm not going to just stand there and grab my ankles and put up with right. it. Right. No, it doesn't feel, this is like a, a a moment where it doesn't feel right to just, you know, take a deep breath and walk away. It felt like that something needed to be done. By the way, want to hear a funny postscript? Yeah. God. This year, so I pulled my kid out of school. We're yeah. now in Greenwich Village. There's like a rainbow flag outside and we're so happy. Everything is great. And this kid called somebody the N-word, and he is no longer oh at that school. Oh, my God. It's funny, because someone said to me, like, well, you win in the end. You ran them out of town. I'm like, I win? didn't win. That's not winning. I didn't win. I didn't win. Right. I don't Your care about Your dream was not people. for people. I'm not trying to run anyone up. Yeah. It's a child. They're whatever. They're all fine. I'm oh, not in that school anymore, because they mishandled, I think, the whole thing. But I wound up writing about it for Tablet, a Jewish um, you know, online magazine, and I didn't name the school. I didn't name the family. I didn't do anything that I thought was mean-spirited. Mm-hmm. But it did get kind of picked up by mm-hmm. other outlets and became a bit of a thing, like, you know, in my neighborhood. And I felt a little exposed because I was just writing it to get it off my chest. But it was a really weird split. In the Jewish community and a lot of minorities, people were, like, very supportive And then there was a certain contingent that felt that I, like, vilified a kid who said something stupid. But I do think if we don't shine a flashlight in those dark corners, you're not—you have to make examples, even if they're children. And I never named who they were, but people said, like, everyone knows. And that's really not my problem. You know, I don't know what to say. I didn't want to expose any of that. But I was going through something pretty horrible. And I would say for a good two, three weeks, I cried every single day. It's also, it's so, I'm so sorry. Because well, I, I don't care what people say to me. I mean, honestly, like when you go on TV at 40, you're a fully formed person. So I have a super thick skin. I definitely see online, there's so much darkness on there. None of it bothers me. People have called me Marilyn Manson's daughter, an ugly Jew cunt. I oh really God. don't care because their profile picture is like an egg and they have six followers. Like I don't, I do not care. I would admit if I cared. I don't even feel a sting because I only care about people I respect and what they think of me. I don't give a shit what anyone else thinks of me. But when you do something to my kid, all of your strength, all of your badassery is just glass that is punctured because I cannot – I was so shattered. I I couldn't handle seeing him cry and and being attacked for his religion, which, I mean, he doesn't even know yet. You know, he was like just in Hebrew school, and it's not even about God. It was just about – it's about a culture and humor and family and, you know, that's how we're Jewish. I'm not like, you know, davening and wearing a wig <laughs> and boning through a dick-sized hole in a sheet. Oh, my God. Ugh. It's not about vilifying that little kid or anything, but you're right. There's a brush it under the rug and let's not say anything. And there is something – These there should have been a school-wide assembly. There should be a real conversation with everybody. Because as much pain as you were going through seeing this happen to your child, the whole group of them had an experience that nobody acknowledged. Well, they didn't want to have it be public. Ironically, by burying it. That was more important. (laughs) Right. They're all kind of about optics. And by kind of burying it and having a slap on the wrist, Mm. no suspension, blah, 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 
um, and no school-wide assembly or anything like that. I was so upset that I wound up writing about it, and that's how it became public. So I wasn't doing it. I didn't, and now I never do they have, the like, social justice conversations and and well, racial— the, funny, the funniest thing is someone told me that they brought in, like, a Chabad rabbi who oh, that one of the teachers was a really neighbor of. I'm like, great, you're, like, them, like, stoking what it's like the to be anti-Semitism. Totally. That great, is, good job. Um, the type of kids that go there that are Jewish anyway are just, like— Reform, so it, it's just ridiculous to bring in a total ortho. That was their solution. That was their solution. That's such a bummer because if anything, it could have been an opportunity to say, "Well, we've failed these kids. Let's give it a better try next time." Anyway, sorry, I don't want to like no, go but be it, Debbie Downer. No, but I'm I, like the world is burning, and Boris Johnson is prime minister, and we have like red rum of these two blonde, ridiculous narcissists. But that's running why, the free world. That's why it's important at a young age to acknowledge that this stuff happens and deal with it and not make it a light thing. It is a big deal. And it, it, if kids know that it's important, they'll stand up for each other and we will have a better world. So I actually, as we've had this conversation, I have come to terms with what we did. Yeah, good. I <laughs> and think I you actually, should. I'm totally I, proud of it. I don't think it was too much or too aggressive because I don't know that there is too much or too aggressive in a peaceful way promoting education and learning and thinking about how, uh, it, you know, stepping into the lives of other human beings and what it's like to be there. So my mom said, oh, the, you know, they threw all those books in the garbage can. They didn't read them. Maybe they did. Let's let let me be <laughs> let me live in a <laughs> world hope. where Let's they read those books and they felt those feelings and didn't and, and realized like now that kid is going to go on and teach other people like why they shouldn't live like that. That is where there is I want a story to be. Of, you know what? You're not wrong. There is a story of a Floridian. I want to say either a Klansman or some neo-Nazi who, who was like the heir apparent of the David Duke like empire. Mm-hmm. And he saw, he went to college in Florida, I think, right. and was such an outcast for his, you know, political alt-right bullshit and he got invited. No, he had no friends. And he got invited by a group of Jews to like a Shabbat dinner. And he became friends with them. And he's now totally renounced all of his like anti-Semitic stuff and his and has shrugged off this cloak of inheriting whatever that the shithead movement is that See, he was. That due to. is that is a beautiful. It's a great thing. story, right? So it it does exist out there. And each time and each moment and is an opportunity. There are just a lot of these moments that need to happen. Yeah. Um, Especially with our leadership Yeah, here and abroad. Good times. This is, I know. The world is burning. We didn't start the fire. <laughs> pet peeve. <laughs> um, <laughs> Final Tourette, pet peeve. Jill's musical Tourette syndrome. No, that's a wonderful thing about you. I burst into song at all times. Except you're... Hamilton, we've both done that. Mm, I loved that. Hamilaria. I don't like your heavy metal stuff. That's the only I thing that we don't. I love heavy metal. Okay, for those of you listening who think, you know, you hate heavy metal, I will say I think it's my therapy because I, there are studies that the happiest people listen to metal because you're getting out. I'm sure there are. <laughs> Stanford, bitch. It's, I'm it, you're so You're getting happy, out though. your aggression. If you see, you know— Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, where the guy's like butchering Romanian girls in a cage in his basement, mm-hmm. he's playing Enya. You know what I mean? Like, if you're listening to that 
Sell away, sell away. Is there no com? Is there no happy? No, there's medium? stuff in the middle. But I'm saying like you get as crazy. It's a direct proportion. You know, if you're elevator music, you're like slaughtering people. Metal, you're actually a good person. I, I stumbled upon a motorcycle rally with some of the scariest XYY chromosome <sighs> giant motherfuckers, and they were just like mushes. <laughs> they looked really intimidating, but they they were like, oh hi, <laughs> hi. I'm I, I talk like Kermit the Frog. Oh my God. Speaking of. Did you join Kabbalah? No. Elisa's wearing a red thread. I'm scared. You're going LA on me. No, this has been on me for a year since the meditation retreat. Oh, Jesus. And it's supposed to fall off. It just hasn't fallen off yet. But I know for Can you, it's it, a does cry it count for as help. Fall? It is a cry for help. <laughs> like, you know, if I saw Hawkeye and then he had that, I'd be like, boner welter. Okay. <laughs> Have a nice day. Thanks. Here are my show notes. For those of you interested in reading about the story Jill mentioned about Derek Black, it's called Rising Out of Hatred, The Awakening of a Former White Nationalist by Ellie Saslow. Thank you for listening and please join me next week for a discussion about bullying, cultivating healthy friendships, what happens when your kid likes the mean kid or is the mean kid and more. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review and DM me for questions on next week's topic at Raising Good Humans podcast on Instagram.